they're just, you see, you started. I didn't wear that. For the four that. of them that are here tonight. What happened? Did you just scare everybody? Yeah. Okay. It's all good. We are recording, right? Okay. Yes, we are. Good evening, y'all. I see we're deep into the school year, and uh, people are starting to have band concerts and things like that happening, but we're proud of y'all for continuing to put your marriage over your kids' tuba playing, and so we are glad that you are here. Amen. Amen. Uh, Virgil has been taping for us. I say taping. It's kind of sad when we don't... Have tape, Recording, actually. no tape. He's uh, been willing to share his email address, and I've got to figure out on our form, had a little hiccup on our system, but I'm going to figure out how to get that to y'all, and then Benji's also has a couple of different recordings that we actually did with video, and I've got one on my phone, so I really will compile on that, all of that, and get that to us. I apologize. We have a merch coming up Saturday night. Someone has videotaped us? Yes. I told you. I warned you that night. I said, I said, I know, I but said, I'm supposed to sit up and tuck in. And I said, I said, they're videoing. Remember? Hmm. Okay. Sorry, I forgot. Uh, they did. Actually, um, Austin Baptist Church wants us to send that to them. They want us to come teach on marriage. Really? Yeah, but now that's good. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Seriously, don't let them hear it. Okay. Um, so we will be getting that out to y'all. Also, for those of you who do not have your Immerse tickets yet, this is our big women's event that we do, and it's going to be down at the Amphitheater with Anita Renfro and Ellie Holcomb. It's going to be fantastic, and that is on Saturday night with actually the best weather I think we've had for any kind of AMP event. It's going to be really spectacular. Oh, y'all are doing it here? Yes. Oh, sweet. Yes, it's right there. Very right nice. There. Food trucks and all that kind of stuff. You can come if you want. Hmm. You'd like a needle intro. Yes, I would. Yeah, she's loving. So, so if y'all haven't gotten your tickets yet, please do because we're wanting to plan appropriately. And let's pray, and we're going to get into communication. Rise of the Cobra, part two. Nobody gets that. Why does no one get Rise of the Cobra? I didn't get it. Really? Thank you. Thank you. A thousand. But wasn't it? I see wasn't it now. Rise of Cobra? Not the Cobra. I just put a lot of articles. I say the Walmarts. Yes. Beth said, if we don't watch it, the ISIS is going to get us. You're like, see? I mean, she's the ISIS. She's specific. Okay. Let's I pray. Say the ISIS. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for a time to circle up and to work on our marriages, hopefully to work on it with good hearts and open hearts and humor, and also with you right in the midst of it. And Father, as we begin discussing further tonight, a second part of what communication is, what it means, what we bring to our marriages with it, would you help us not think about where our spouses are messing up communication? Would you help us see where we can come up higher, where we specifically have areas that we can participate at a better level? Can you equip us? Can you give us knowledge and wisdom about communication? We ask this in faith in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. So we covered communication a couple weeks ago. Last week, my husband Mike came and talked about finance and cracked open some of the emotions that we have tied up with money. And there was a lot of robust conversation that went down after that particular session. So I'm glad for those of you who were here. It was a great session, and we did get that one recorded as well. So whenever I get around to actually compiling all that and sending it to you, you'll be able to find that session as well on finance with Mike. Tonight, we talked two weeks ago about communication the first part and we talked about some specific tools things that we really don't even think of in terms of verbal that are part of communication along with some other tools that dr myers mr jimmy here helped us sort through in terms of how to bring our communication game up higher tonight as we were looking over these notes as we were talking about a second session for communication because it's such a big topic in marriage one of the things that i was sharing with jimmy is that you know, there's a difference between being a great communicator and in really having good interpersonal communication skills. Did you know there's a difference between those two? 
Mike and I, when we first got together and started dating, he was literally a national debate champ. So that sounds like a great communicator, right? Mm -hmm. And I was in radio and television. I got paid to communicate. So we were great communicators. Everyone told us we were great communicators. Except that when you take someone who is a debater and you put them with somebody who is a journalist, a television journalist, the interpersonal communication tends to be challenged mm -hmm. because being able to tell a story and tell it well, being able to define your opinion and defend it well, really doesn't have anything to do with interpersonal communication and maintaining and keeping close a marital relationship. As a matter of fact, I will tell you that for a lot of mine and Mike's early communication, the amazing communication skills that we were bringing to the table, those skills were the very things that were beginning to really fray the edges of our relationship. Because he could dig in and debate anything, and I could dig in and find the holes in anything. And between the two of us, there were just lots and lots and lots of screaming matches and stomping and door slamming and fighting and fighting and fighting, until we finally began to realize that just because we could define and defend an opinion well, did not make us great communicators in the least. You know, you really hit kind of a bad slide when you're telling each other, well, everyone else in my world thinks I'm a fantastic communicator except for you. Yeah, we would say things mm -hmm. like that to each other because you we literally said so those things? Oh, we said lots of other things. Oh. That was one of the more mild things. But just because everybody else in our world might think we were great communicators had nothing to do and, and should really not have played into the conversation that we were trying to have. Because everybody has to find their communication groove with their partner. So you're really the expert. You're the guy who sits yes, in the room and gets to help people. Just ask Beth. Yeah, I mean, I'm the I would, expert. you're the expert. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things that you really believe, tools, tips, skills, that we really need to begin to pull into our marriages in order to be better communicators at the interpersonal level? We've talked about these two things before, um, but we're gonna be talking about roadblocks to, uh, to communicate. And we said this before, but the, the, there are two reasons why people don't communicate well, or they don't talk to each other in, in a marriage. It was not, not really even in a marriage, just period. And that, the two Fs, fear and frustration. Those are the two reasons. I, I'm afraid of what your reaction will be Therefore, I will not share with you. Or I've had this stupid conversation a million times, and I don't want to have it a million and one, so I'm not going to have this conversation with you. Fear and frustration tend to be two large reasons why people don't talk. Now, keep in mind, <clears throat> we've shared this before as well. Remember, there's this, this phrase in counseling that we train people what? How to treat us. We train people how to treat us. I've had so many spouses in my office just say, well, he just won't even talk to me. Really? That's, that's so odd. Uh, you would think he would love to be disemboweled on a regular basis. I don't know. I don't know what his problem is. But we train people. You know, sometimes, you know, you say, I just can't stand it when my child lies to me. Or I can't stand it when my spouse doesn't just tell me the truth. Maybe you've taught your child not to tell you the truth. Maybe you've taught your spouse not to tell you the truth. One of the things that I see so often in a marriage, and it tends to be um, the females, 
um, uh, they're the ones who sort of assume a parental role. And we've talked about this before, that nagging is so many ladies feel like correcting you uh, is their love language. They want you to be better. So they, just like they tell their kids, don't wear that, put that on, don't go out looking like, you're not going out looking like that. Go put up. So they're doing that out of love because they want you to be the best that you can be uh, and so forth and so on. But they do the same thing with their spouses. And I've had a gazillion women say, I don't have three kids, I've got four kids in the house. He's just like another kid. And you want to say, well, don't treat him like a child because you've trained him to act that way. And I would tell him, you've trained her to treat you that way because you're acting like a child. You're acting like his mom and you're acting like a child. And you're both in this just death spiral of communication that neither one will break out of. So remember that if you don't like the way your spouse communicates, be very honest. How have I contributed to them being that way? It's like um, anytime I'm listening to couples, and I know we're not talking about, you know, we're going to talk about conflict resolution another night, but where, you know, it's, it's bad. You know, there's a lot of bad stuff going on. But if I see even someone who's physically abusive, by staying in the relationship, that spouse that's being abused is enabling that to continue. So there's, a marriage is so symbiotic that there's really no good guy and bad guy. If there's a bad guy, well, you're allowing him or her to be the bad guy. You know, there's a reason. Um, well, again, I'll be very honest. There was a time and um, I actually hit Beth and I didn't see her for three days. And then I saw her just a little out of the corner of my left eye when the swelling went down. <laughs> Thank you all very much. <laughs> Thank you. That's my spousal boot joke for the evening. Um, no, there's a, you know, you, we all set boundaries with each other. Um, and so if you allow someone to cross a boundary, in a way, you're as guilty as they are. So as we move forward talking about these seven things, these seven roadblocks to, to good communication in a marriage. Keep in mind, oh, and I love what Jules said. Do, have have y'all ever sat in, in a, um, love and respect and gone through that study? I love it because it never fails. I'll send couples home with a book and they'll come back and they'll just have it highlighted. And they've highlighted everything their spouse is doing wrong. And, 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 but they're lucky because their spouse has highlighted everything they're doing wrong. So when we hear these things or we read these things, we tend to look at how our spouse is wrong. Instead of, how am I doing that? How is this talking to me? Uh, because this is about not you being supported that your spouse is, is a brain-dead idiot. But you're in here to hear you know, what do I need to hear? What's going on in my life? What am I doing that's contributing to our communication not doing well, okay? So, 
The first roadblock is uh, demanding and commanding your spouse. Demanding and commanding your spouse. That is a roadblock to communication. What would be an example of commanding your spouse? Good, what else? <laughs> what, would be, what would be commanding your spouse? Look how you train them to communicate. I know. They're terrified. <laughs> You'll have dinner ready by six. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. And when it comes to commanding and demanding, that tends to be on guys more. That we make demands. That this is what will occur and when it will occur. And this is what we're going to do. Uh, and just keep in mind, it's never our place. It's never your place to command your spouse to do something. Uh, hey, I'm going to go to Fredericksburg with uh, a bunch of the girls this weekend. No, you're not. <laughs> I just think. Oh you my God! See, that's what I'm saying. I can't even imagine. <laughs> I would have the word "tfall" just printed across my forehead. I but backwards. but <laughs> it's backwards. Make sure you read it in the mirror when yes. you look at that. All fit. All fit. So yeah, it's just not our place to say for a spouse to go, "Hey, this thing," and just say, "No, no, you're not going to do that." You command them. Simply not your place. And if you wonder why a spouse might not respond well to you commanding them or demanding that they do something, um, it's because that's not, that a command should not come from a spouse. From a police officer, Beth is not here. I don't see her. Yeah, two tickets in two days. Do you know, everyone knows that you can drive 10 miles over the speed limit. Everyone knows that. Do they? Who doesn't know that? Okay. Apparently two policemen. They didn't know that. No. They clocked me exactly at 10 miles and they pulled me over. Two of them. I thought you said Beth got two tickets. No, I did. Oh. I just don't want her to know that I got two tickets. That's funny again. Okay. I was feeling sorry for Beth. Never mind. Ah, because then she would demand that I slow down. I know. And take driver's Yeah, command me to give me her, her keys. <laughs> Hand me the keys. So anyway, so the reason a spouse is going to just viscerally respond to that is because it's not our place to demand something of them. And if you think about it, you wouldn't like it either. And I'm not saying who in here might be a commander or a demander. But imagine how you might respond if your spouse just told you no. And I had a guy in my office today who said that very thing. He told his wife what she could and couldn't do. Told her. How'd that go over? <laughs> so, if you, and it's not that you don't have a problem with something that your spouse does. You know, if both of you have a pulse you're going to irritate each other and they're going to do things you don't like. They're going to propose things that you don't want to have happen. But it's not a demand and it's not a command. Do you find, too, that some of this is predicated 
Because it seems to me those people that I have known who professionally were in the military, who were nurses, who were doctors, who were in professions for all day long, they did practice mm -hmm. commanding and it was appropriate because they were in situations where they needed Without people question. to respond quickly. The challenge is when that comes home. Yes. And, and how, to, yeah. how to disassociate those two things. Mm -hmm. And I had a couple, a couple of years ago, he was a surgeon and she was an attorney. <laughs> so you had, in essence, two alpha males. Yeah that were used to telling people what to do, and all those people just jumped and did it. And they were perplexed as to why everyone else does what I say. Because <laughs> everyone else recognizes me as the most brilliant people, you know, person in the room. But it's not that you're brilliant, it's just you're the boss. You know, and that's why they're doing what you say. So we would respond bad to being demanded or commanded. Uh, and so don't be surprised if your spouse does as well. The second thing is, a roadblock is correcting your spouse. And I've gotten quite the reputation around here for telling ladies it is not your place to correct your spouse. Because again, that comes back to more of a ladies thing. And again, it goes back to them loving us. I tell Beth today, I told her last night, thank you baby for loving me so much. <laughs> and she knows when I say that, what that means. That means you're telling me on a trip in from our house in Georgetown into Austin, 25 minute trip, she told me to slow down twice. Wait, 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 wait. See, based on what you already told yes, us. Yes, I know, I know. I think there's some wisdom. That what, is correct. What's the difference between wisdom and correcting? <laughs> However, she also told me to speed up twice in the same trip. So she told me to speed up twice and to slow down twice. Where to park? I had a lady once say, it's not that I'm nagging, it's just that I have better ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it goes back to a woman wanting to love, just like she loves her children and wants them to be their best. And so she just carries that right over to correcting. And how do we know it is not you know, requesting something. How do we know it's correction? I'll ask guys this, because again, this tends to be more of a female issue. Guys, how do you, no, you'd never say it, they're in here. <laughs> it's tone. They take a tone. <laughs> and they might even say it in a calm voice, but it's that tone. <laughs> that makes you want to wet your pants and go to the nurse's office <laughs> because you're being scolded by the authority figure. It, and how do we know it? Because that's the exact same tone that she takes with the children. So again, and, and people say this all the time, you know, the, the tonal quality of what you say. It's not just the words that come out of your mouth. But it's also, as we talked about you know, last time about communication, all the nonverbals, but it's the tonal. It's the tone in which you say it. Honey, is anything wrong? No. The tone <laughs> communicates much more than the word communicates. So, again, guys or gals, but it just tends to be the gals. It is not our place to correct our spouse. Simply not our, not our place. It's not your job. What do we say? There is a Holy Spirit and what? 
and we're not him. Which is what you... Oh yeah, I got this one next. (laughs) One that's very close to this is shooting on your spouse. You would never want to shoot on your spouse. Shooting is wrong, especially when it comes to your spouse. In fact, let's all say that together. You shouldn't (laughs) shoot on your spouse. Louder. You shouldn't (laughs) shoot on your spouse. See if anybody comes in. All right. Shooting is one of those, it's it's a communication, it's called a cognitive distortion. And that is where I have a rule book in my head. And if you violate one of my rules of the rule book that I have in my head, you, my friend, are in trouble. I don't even consider the fact that you might have a different rule book. But even if you did have another rule book, my rule book trumps yours. In fact, my rule book is the universal rule book of all mankind throughout all time and all cultures, which obviously is not true. But when we say, do what? (laughs) And just give me a copy in advance. Something, go on. But it's when we shit on people is when we say, again, it's very close to correcting, but you should do this, you should do that. And I'm telling you, a lot of guys have this as well. But when we find ourselves, and, and obviously, you should not uh, beat your child with a baseball bat. There are some things that actually you should not do. Uh, but we're not talking about that. We're, ta- we're not talking about deal breakers well, you shouldn't sleep with your mistress more than once a month. You shouldn't do that. There are, some, there are some deal breakers, and that's not what we're referring to. We're talking about just those irritants of life that there are no rule books. There are some people that don't consider them to be bad, wrong, or irritating at all. And there's other people, ice chewing, that believe that those things are, should be a criminal offense. So... Shooting on people is another one of those things that will just shut down communication. I was talking with a young couple recently, and one of them had the opinion that if they really had connection as a couple, then they both should have the same opinions on virtually all issues. Oh, heavens. I know. Bless them. Bless them. After I stopped laughing, but I, but I acted like I had allergies. Um, <laughs> But it was a really interesting should. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that one trumps Where did a lot that of come from? I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, it was one that was really interesting. And in terms of its efficacy to damage, it was really difficult because they were never going to, it was really difficult to see how they would ever be able to get past. And thankfully, this was not a marriage relationship. This was a very serious courting relationship, dating relationship. But it was one of those that I thought, I don't know if this is one they can scale if you mm-hmm. bring that kind of oh, should. Oh, seriously? And I think some of, the, some of the things that we get into with these shoulds is I think for a lot of us, we believe that the more closely aligned we are in how we view things, and I'm not talking just the big ones that are the non-negotiables. I'm talking about how the bread bag should be you know, turned back up or not, or where the thermostat should sit at, or how often a car should be washed or cleaned out, or who should do this mm-hmm. chore or that chore. When we find those places that our shoulds don't match, I think it can make us feel disconnected. And I think that sometimes is the passion that we bring to saying, well, you should mm-hmm. know this out of the other because anyone that I would love and would feel that connected to would obviously already know that. How can you not know that? 
And so that area to me, it's interesting. It's, it's difficult behavior because it's something that can make somebody feel very minimized, but I think at the core of it is really this idea that, okay, we're not connected yes. in the way that and I we thought should. we were, and we should be more connected in mm -hmm. this way, in had, these opinions. I had a guy that um, I asked him about, you know, this week how to go, if you were, you know, a scale of one to 10, 10 fabulous, one horrible, and so, you know, three. Did anything happen? And he says, no, just everything. It's just all the usual stuff. And I said, well, give me an example. And he said, she still puts the glasses in the cabinet, face down. Call the cops. And to him, <laughs> that was such a big deal. And I know, again, we don't argue over little things. We were, he, he thought it was disrespectful since he made his, you know, his wishes known for how that needed to be done. But when we talk about you shouldn't major on minors. Don't sweat the small stuff, and it's all small stuff. Well, in a marriage, it's not all small stuff. But the vast majority of the things that tend to irritate us and, and um, just, yeah, this the couple today was actually how to change a light bulb. But that's what, quote unquote, set us off was how to do the light bulb. So we do that a lot. Both of us do it, shooting on people. The fourth one, I think it's number four. Number four is you should, a roadblock is lecturing your spouse. Guys, that's where we come in. Since we are not driven as much by emotional communication as people with, I don't know, ovaries, then we tend to be more logical. And because, and we take great pride in being more logical because uh, we're not a crazy person. And so we think about, so when, when we believe we're right, instead of crying or instead of maybe even yelling or whatever, we want to get a lectern and present our case. And in an effort to show how wrong it is you're thinking. But again, and how do we know when they're just communicating good information or whatever and when a guy is lecturing? They get a tone. <laughs> and you know they're not just giving some good information. When they get that tone, where again, they feel as though they're talking to a subordinate at work. And they get the same tone, the same look on their face, like you poor ignorant sap. How many times do I have to? They get that look about themselves. So if you want to, guys, you want to shut down communication, begin a lecture. That will do it. Number five is reading your spouse's mind. I already know what they're thinking. Therefore, I am PO'd. I don't know exactly what, but I know. I know. It, this is another cognitive distortion that goes along with fortune-telling. I'm already, I'm pre-upset because I know what's going to happen. So something happened, and I am putting negative intent in your mind. Mind reading, a perfect example of that, when we were building the house in Georgetown, we were driving up 35, and I don't know if I've shared, but I'm a, I'm a fairly aggressive driver. And so I was over in the the left-hand lane, which anyone uh, short of the state hospital knows, that's where the faster traffic, they keep over here. 
and slower traffic keeps more over to the right. And there was a, a guy that apparently had escaped from the state hospital because he was not aware of that vital driving rule. And so when I saw that he wasn't going to get over, um, I just pulled around. Didn't really think all that much about it, really, because we were talking about cabinet colors. And so I just, okay, I'll get around the center lane, and I just kind of go on about my business at exactly 10 miles over, no more, <laughs> over the speed limit. And here in a minute, as we're, again, we're just talking about cabinet colors. This car comes zooming up the middle lane and then cuts over in front of me and kind of puts on his brakes. I'm like, good, what was the world was that? And then it dawned on me that it was that guy back there. He apparently felt as though we were in this blood duel on the highway. <laughs> and little did he know, I did not know he was alive on the planet. We were discussing peach green, I don't know. We, 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 he just wasn't even, but he knew what I was thinking and put negative intent in my mind. Now, at that moment in time, that's when I developed uh, ill intent. Uh, <laughs> I very quickly got to negative intent in my mind. But we do that with our spouses all the time. And sometimes that's when we fail to give them the benefit of the doubt. If something happens, I know exactly. They're at it again. She does it all the time. I can't believe he's still doing blank. So it's mind reading. And that, some of us were primed for that, I think, in our families of origin. Oh, yes, absolutely. I think there were, I have definitely been with people who mom or dad really expected the kid to be able to know what they were thinking. And even if they were giving a signal that was completely different. For example, I have a friend whose mother, if she didn't like something that was going on, would say, oh, is that so? Which really means... Absolutely not. That's horrible, and you're mm -hmm. awful for even considering that. For this particular friend, where it is really messed with this person is they're constantly trying to reread signals, whatever anybody tells them. So if my friend says to me, what movie would you like to go see? And I say, I don't care. This poor person is going, oh, okay, so does that mean she wants to go see The Martian, but she just doesn't want to hurt my feelings, that she doesn't want to go see mm -hmm. some horrible flip chick? Or, like, what, what is she trying to say? And it's been an interesting point of communication to continue to sort through. I yes. really will tell you what I'm thinking. If you ever have a passive-aggressive spouse, then they tend to not say what they mean. Mm -hmm. And so you, you're left with trying to decipher it. And trying to read minds. Yeah, mm -hmm. trying to read minds. Um, okay, real quickly, number six is always having to be right and your spouse be wrong. Um, this is a lot more prevalent than we think it is. There are some people that are just born in this life as blamers. If something happened that's not good, someone is at fault. And 100% of the time, it's not them. Thanks, Obama. It has to be somebody else. It's their fault. And until... I'm going to keep this going until you agree that I'm right and you're wrong. When we enter in, we'll talk more about this. Next week is conflict avoidance. I believe so. We'll talk about this next week. But when we enter into a conflict with it's either my way or the highway, and if both people come in going it's my way or the highway, then the highway is involved 
for somebody involved in this discussion. And they are not going to submit to that. In businesses, what do we always talk about? You know, when we have comp, we want to come out with a win-win. We, want to, we don't want any losers. We want to come to, but we, we can't do that at home. For personal reasons, for low self-worth, for insecurity reasons, no, you have to admit that I'm right. And I'm going to be angry, and I'm going to carry this until you admit that I'm right. And not only that I'm right, but that you're wrong. That'll kill communication. And then lastly, before we all discuss, um, and this tends to be more guys than girls, shutting down to avoid conflict with your spouse. That shuts down communication because that literally shuts down communication. But, and if you remember Egridge, um, I think a lot of men were surprised when Egridge said that was probably the more normal way that guys respond to conflict. Uh, of course, there are screamers and there's cussers and there's, there are those, but most guys shut out in order to, they will shut down communication in order to avoid conflict. And the thing that guys tend to say to themselves is, it's not worth it. This isn't worth it. So just let it go. But the problem is, after years and years and years of issues that aren't worth it, every one of those issues that aren't worth it become a brick in the wall. And then you look up a decade later and you've got the Great Wall of China in between you. So the thing is, this actually is worth it. It's very much worth it to have the conflict. Um, again, I don't want to talk too much about conflict because we'll do that next week. But when, and specifically guys, when we will shut down communication and what did we say at the very beginning? We don't talk because of fear. So I don't want to go there because it's not going to be worth the battle that would ensue. Therefore, I just walk away. And what we'll talk about next week is how do we have negative conversations? We're good at talking about whatever. Uh, you know, we, uh, you know we, can, we can walk on our hour walk. We can be in a car. We can talk and talk and talk and talk. That's one of the things that we love about our spouses sometimes is we can just talk about anything for a long time. But when it comes to a negative conversation, if it comes to something where there's conflict involved, it's just like we vapor lock and shut down. And we don't know how to have those negative conversations. And that's what we'll talk about next week. I know that we're going to be discussing further how to handle conflict, but at the top you talked about that we train people how to treat us. And so can you give us just a couple pointers? These are such phenomenal rules for engaging in positive communication and in making sure that we're not you know, shutting things down ahead of time before a conversation can even occur. If a spouse is married to someone who is a should and should not, a lecturer, mm -hmm. a, you know, a nagger, whatever it is, how can someone lay an appropriate boundary? And, of course, obviously it would be the best if everybody agrees these are the ground rules we're going to communicate by. But if there is not cohesion on that, mm -hmm. how can you set appropriate boundaries without creating massive conflict or creating a situation in which both parties shut down? Well, and that's a good question. I think, let's, and let's take someone who's a shooter. If, 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 if they want to criticize you for something that you've done and you don't agree that what you did was necessarily wrong or certainly not to the level, you know, 
of capital punishment, which it seems to be in that person's eyes, then I would just say, and, and, and again, we'll talk about it next week, but I've, you have to allow me to have a different opinion. You have to. Unless you're responding. It's okay for you to have an opinion, but what you're saying is I'm not allowed to have an opinion. You have... Now, I don't care about the, the, what we're doing. I get that. I mean, we can agree to do it or not do it or whatever. But don't be angry at me because of my opinion. Because my opinion is just as valid as yours. What I think is right and wrong in a situation is just as valid as yours. So just because you may be louder than I am, you know, might doesn't make right. Just being the loudest one doesn't mean you're correct about this. And again, we cannot do it or do it. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just saying you're angry at me because I think a certain way. You're mad at me because I think a certain way about an issue that is inconsequential, really. So we've got to be able to say we look at it differently. Now, I'll stop doing whatever I'm doing or, you know, whatever. I'll start doing whatever, whatever we want to do. But you can't be mad at me because I have a different opinion. You just can't. And I'm not going to go there with you. I'm not going to argue that my opinion's valid. And what I would also say is, you ever notice that I never do this with you? Do you know I never challenge that you have an opinion about something? I just don't do it. So all I ask is you treat me the way I'm treating you. That's it. Nothing more. But you can set a boundary and keep reminding that person of that. You know, I get it. I know what you're saying, but look what you're doing again. You're mad at me because I just view this issue differently than you. And you can't do that. I've, you've got to allow me to think the way I'm going to think. We've got to be able to disagree and just keep on loving each other. And that's where, I, again, it goes back to that we have to, our shoulds all have to be the same. No, they can't all be the same. <laughs> We've got to be able to say, you know, you and I see this differently. Let's go. Uh, have a Coke. Yeah. Well, you guys have some discussion questions. I'm sorry we're not at tables tonight, but we did not have first appointment in Mon to Mon on Monday. And so our incredible Raymond Iglesias came to me and said, do you want me to turn around the sanctuary for Wednesday night? And I said, no, we'll just snuggle. So um, if y'all can find a couple of other couples to huddle up with, you've got some discussion questions on your notes about communication part two. Rise of the Cobra. Rise of the Cobra. <laughs> Rise of the Cobra. Rise of the Cobra. <coughs> <coughs>